Let's continue in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the gifts you give us. This morning, we are grateful for the gift of Helen and all of our young people. We are grateful for the gift of baptism, the sign and seal of our salvation that you give to us by your grace alone. Father, we are grateful for the gifts of music that we could enjoy and participate in and receive this morning. We are grateful that your eye is upon us and that you care deeply for us. Lord, as we step into your word this morning, as we hear it read and proclaimed, we ask that you speak in this moment to all of us. Show us more of who you are. Show us more of who you've designed us to be. Lord, we ask that you give us, give us deeper knowledge of you and deeper knowledge of ourselves, and so help us to rely more and more on your grace and to become more and more like you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Before we read our scripture this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the service, but go back to this a little bit, where we are with, with our preaching and with our worship at this point. So we're in the midst of a, kind of coming to the end of a really anxious, real peace sermon series. And these, <clears throat> these past ones are on YouTube. You can watch it if you're really excited about it. But we started off with a couple weeks of looking at Jacob wrestling with God in the book of Genesis and, and reflecting on what it looks like for us to wrestle with God and for us, for us to win and to lose as the Lord redefines who we are and brings us closer to Him. And then a couple weeks ago, we read the same text we're going to read for this morning, and we, we reflected a little more on the earlier part of that text. We're going to reflect a little more on the later part today. But the call there is not to be anxious, not to be anxious, but, but to recognize that God's peace guards us. And, and how do we do that? Last week, we had Bob Benhausen here for a Mission Emphasis Sunday, and we reflected on James 1 and, and how we endure the trials and temptations that we have, how we, how we live out who God has called us to be and how we do all of that in a way that is, that is positive for us, that does not leave us alone or bitter or burned out or rejected. This week, we're going to reflect on Philippians 4 again this morning. Tonight, if you come back for the evening service, we're going to reflect on Psalm 37 and have some Q&A. And then looking ahead, next week, Dr. Strange is going to preach for us, not that Dr. Strange, a different one. But he's going to be here. He's going to help us reflect on what salvation means. And then for Advent, we're going to be reading from the minor prophets and early chapters in the book of Luke and, and be reflecting on anxious anticipation. What does it look like for us in a time that is full of trouble and anxiety and worry and darkness, just like, just like the minor prophets experience? What does it look like for us to anticipate, to celebrate Jesus? So that's the big picture of where we are. And now let's dig into our specific text for today. We're going to read Philippians 4 from verse 4 to verse 9. The words will be on the screen. You're also invited to grab the Bible on the bench if you like or pull it up on your phone and follow along with your eyes as well as your ears. Hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, 
If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to do, a, I think, a quick, easy exercise a minute. And there's two parts to it, all right? So everybody ready for this? The first part of the exercise. For about the next five seconds, I want you not to think about elephants. All right? For the, some of you have done this exercise before. For the next five seconds, don't think about elephants. Ready? Go. All right. You probably have never been in a room as full of people thinking about elephants as you were the last five seconds, right? Someone probably succeeded in not thinking about elephants, but, but that's how it is. That's how our minds work. Second part of the exercise. For the next five seconds, don't be anxious about anything, all right? Ready, go. You've all failed. All right. Whenever we tell people don't be anxious, what happens? Our anxiety spikes. We think of all the things that we have to be anxious about. And, and life these days, just like always, but it feels like more so, is full of heavy burdens and darkness and trouble and all kinds of things to induce anxiety. And so when we're told don't be anxious, we get anxious. And then we get anxious about being anxious. And then we get anxious about being anxious about being anxious. And then we're thinking about elephants for the rest of the day, which you might well be. What do we do with this? How, how do we live with, work with, deal with our anxiety? And if you're not anxious, then I invite you to, to reflect on what other mental suffering, mental challenges, mental troubles you might have. It might be depression, it might be grief, it might be, might be denial. But how do we deal with our anxiety and how do we hear this call not to be anxious? This is not unfortunately, probably, not going to be a thing that's going to take away your anxiety. But maybe as we reflect on this today, we can, we can help find ways to be more honest about where we are, to endure our troubles, and maybe even by God's grace to grow through them. So let's start, jump into the text. And verses 4 to 6 tell us to be, well, to be gentle, and I think to be honest, too. You know, we all have different needs, different life experiences, different personalities, and I think we should recognize that, but we shouldn't make our own tendencies the way it is. I was listening to some Tim Keller sermons this last week, and he talked about truth and tears, fixers and feelers, and, and there are some of us who are really into, into our feelings, and we're really into just feeling the depth of our feelings and entering into other suffering and really crying with people and, and embracing the tears. And that is a wonderful and amazing gift. Some of us feel things so, so deeply within ourselves. Some of us have tremendous empathy with others. And, and tears are a regular and often healthy, healthy function of our lives and how we are in this world. Now, there's others of us who are fixers, and we like the truth. Don't give me the feelings. Don't give me that. Let's fix the problem. And this also can be a wonderful gift because it can enable us to break through walls that have been restricting us. It, it can enable us to get in touch with reality. But both of these have their downside too. Those of us who are more feelers, well, sure, we're, we're nice to people, 
but we can get all wrapped up and this is how I feel and everything is so overwhelming and I just can't get past it and, and I'm just stuck. And others of us who are fixers, we can get stuck in this place of, well, here's the rules and here's the lines and just change, just change, just feel better. And you know, often in this life, the struggles we have, and it could be anxiety or any other number of struggles that we could spend all day listing, often the struggles we have are not fixable. Often they do not go away. And so if we are really struggling with something or we know someone who is really deeply struggling, it may simply not be reality to say, well, just fix it, we'll just change it, we'll just do it. Often that is not the reality we have. And sometimes that, that's internal, but sometimes it's external. We live in a broken world. We live, we live in situations. We live in lives. We live in a city. We live in a nation. We live in a world where there are so many things that are not right. And so sometimes the most rational response is to be anxious, to be down, to be grief-stricken, to be troubled. And so what we what we need to do is to have our gentleness be evident to all. When you look at your own life, recognize your tendencies, but, but be gentle with yourself. Try to see yourself how the Lord sees you. And if we think of the stories of the Gospels, when the Lord shows up in the lives of broken people, He is not angry. He is not vicious. He is so often gentle with the sinners and the broken. You might think of that in John 11, if you need one example, when Jesus shows up at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he is, he is very gentle. He weeps. But there is also a reality here that, that part of this package has to be being honest, not just being nice, but but caring about people so much that even if it's hard, we try to push them to become better. When Jesus shows up at Lazarus' tomb, he is gentle, but he is also very honest. He pushes people beyond what they're entirely comfortable with in order to move to resurrection. And so just as you are being gentle, that doesn't just mean being nice, but that means caringly, steadfastly thinking and working for the good of the person you are engaging with. So be gentle with yourself and be gentle with those around you. There may be a time to pull out some challenge and say, look, you need to get this straight, but, but before you get there, you are called as a Christian, you are called as a human, but especially as one who follows Christ, to be gentle and to have your gentleness be evident to all. Now, there is, there is a, a challenge here as we talk about gentleness that, especially maybe for some of us who are more on the feeling end, that we can get, we can get stuck in our anxiety and we can't even begin to like it. We can like to function with a certain level of drama. We can like to function with a, a certain level of unsettledness and, and it helps us maybe feel like we're special or maybe we just don't know how to function any other way and it would be too scary to dig into it. So we just live with this constant anxiety. And we are called to be gentle with that, but also to work through it. And I want to invite you to consider that it's not just individual people, but it's families, it's organizations, it's churches that function at a certain level of anxiety. 
And so it's worth asking for yourself and for your family, and it's worth asking for us as a church, how do we handle our anxiety? How do we handle things that feel too hard to deal with? How do we, how do we react when we get worried about things? And we all have our own patterns, and I can guarantee you that all of our patterns are not as healthy as they could be. So I want to invite you into a difficult world for yourself, for your family, for your workplace, for your school, for our church, to ask what, what ways are you unhealthily living into your anxiety? What ways are you, are you functioning in a, in a kind of frantic way and not... And you just can't make any progress because, because you enjoy the pain that you have more than the pain of growing. I invite you, yes, to be gentle with yourself, but also to be honest and to push through, to grow closer to Jesus, to become more like him, to deal with the skeletons in the closet. And so even if we don't find complete freedom in this life, we find growth and we become, we become more and more aware of God's grace for us and his gentle care for us. Now, those are strategies, but I want us now to, to change a little bit and get to the deeper root, to get why those strategies can actually work and be helpful. And for that, we need to go to verse 7 and the reality that the peace of God guards us. The peace of God guards us. And I have always read this until this week. I have always read this as the peace from God guards us, as if God gives us this peace. And that's true, but what the text actually says is the peace of of God guards us. This text is not just talking about a gift that the Lord gives us. This text is talking about the peace that God himself enjoys. This is God's very own peace. And God's peace is of a type that we cannot even comprehend or at least can just barely comprehend in this life. God's peace is like a rock a solid rock, a huge hunk of diamond if you want to get serious here. And the waves can come and they can, they can smack against that rock, but it's not going to move. And too often, the peace that we have in this life is like a piece of wood that's floating on top of the water and the, the waves carry it and it goes up and down and it's all over the place and it comes and goes and eventually it sinks. That is not the peace of God. The peace of God is a solid rock that will never be worn away, that cannot be moved. And this is not an apathetic, emotionless peace. This is a peace that, that goes right through our troubles and goes deeper and stronger and more powerful. God's life is not determined by circumstances, but, but he is vibrantly alive more than we understand. And that is the kind of life, that is the kind of peace that the Lord gives to us. We do not have peace as the world gives, but we, we by Christ's grace, have a peace that is so deep that it is like the peace, the whole contentment, the never-changing, always-there peace of God himself. And we are told that that peace guards us. It guards us. We haven't done a whole lot of digging into the background of Philippi for this sermon series, but Philippi had a really significant, big Roman garrison. There were always Roman soldiers all over Philippi at this time. And the word that Paul uses here is a sense of an, an overwhelming garrison, a group of soldiers guarding you perfectly. The peace of God guards us in ways that are beyond our understanding. Now, to illustrate that, I want to tell you a story I heard from a, a Vietnam vet. 
So he told me that he was just, you know, deployed, saw some really hard things, was about two weeks away from coming back home, and he and his particular group got sent out to spend a couple nights on an island that was owned by the Viet Cong. Incredibly dangerous. No American soldiers had ever spent the night there, but they were sent out there for some tactical objective. And it included a whole bunch of new recruits, guys who were fresh off the plane. And so this vet said, I'm going home in two weeks. I have seniority over you guys. And no matter where we go on this island, you are going to surround me. No matter where we go, you will always be around me because I am going home. Now, Jesus... Jesus always surrounds us. It is that type of peace that guards us. And and Jesus himself has already taken the bullet for us. Jesus on the cross died for us, a death more miserable than we can comprehend. And so he has earned the ability, along with having the power, to guard us perfectly. And that doesn't mean that we don't have any troubles in this life. Life is full of trouble, but what that means is is that Jesus will ensure that no ultimate harm comes to us. If we belong to Jesus, he will always keep us ultimately safe. I've read a a couple books by a guy called Alan Noble lately, and he's an English professor. He also has struggled with a lot of mental health issues over the years. And in one of his books, he reflects on this text, and he makes the point that, that I think is tremendously relevant for a lot of us, that we often can't understand how God's peace is guarding us. We often do not see how given this life experience, given my anxiety, given my depression, given my family history, given my economic situation, given my whatever you want to fill in the blank with, how can God possibly be guarding me? And the point that Noble makes is, well, the peace of God is beyond our understanding. We don't always understand it. But the peace of God and God guarding us does not depend on what's going, up, going on up here. The peace of God does not depend on what's going on in our hearts. The peace of God does not depend on anything we do or don't do. The peace of God guarding us depends on the work of Christ. The peace of God guarding us depends on the work of the Holy Spirit. And so even if we totally do not feel it, even if you are sitting here right now and saying that all sounds good, but it does not apply to me, well, I will say this gently, but I will say it firmly. You are wrong. Because the peace of God is a reality that is as deep as God's love for us, and that is a well that none of us will ever plumb the bottom of. Meditating on these verses will not always jar you out of anxiety. But what it will do is, even as the waves keep coming, it will give you a firm place to stand. It will give you a rock to hold on to. It will give you, it will give you a reality that is deeper and wider and higher than anything you will experience in this life. Baptism, as we celebrated a baptism today, is a sign, a reminder, a pointer to this reality. Baptism has a lot of deep symbolism, but one of the things it points out to us is that that the Lord carries us through the waters of trouble and even death. No matter what we experience, the Lord has been there and he takes us through. So that's, that's the deeper reality. I want to cycle back up to some strategies for just a little bit. 
Our third point for today from, verses four, from chapter 4, verse 8, is discern whatever is good. Discern whatever is good. And what Paul does here in verses 4 to 7, he, he kind of takes the Christian virtues. He says, pray and, and rejoice and do these things that we would expect. And then here in verse 8, he does something really, really clever and something we probably wouldn't pick up, but the Philippians would. He switches into using lots of Greco-Roman philosophical language. The vocabulary here feels kind of different if you're paying attention because it is. See, what Paul has done is he said, here's all the spiritual things, here's all the religious things, I don't know if you want to use that language, but, but here's all these things, but also whatever from the secular world, whatever from the broader culture, whatever is good and noble and right, take all those things too. Take all those things too. There's this language that gets picked up throughout the Christian tradition that, that when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, they plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians were perhaps so glad to see them go or perhaps so afraid of the Lord or perhaps so in awe of the Israelites that they gave them all their wealth and all their possessions and all these things. And so Israel walked out with the wealth of Egypt. And what this text is calling us to is to use all of the strategies in the world God created that do what is good. A few weeks ago, we did a sermon series, At Home in Exile, and we reflected on how we relate to culture. And I think when it comes to anxiety, this is, this is relevant, that a lot of us, us want to withdraw from the cultural resources available to us. We want to say, oh, the medicine isn't real. Oh, all the psycho stuff is just gobbledygook. Oh, oh you, just need to, you just need to pay more attention to God, and that's all you need. Don't pay attention to any of the other stuff. And some of us want to withdraw from all the coping mechanisms on offer in our culture, from, from the medicine, from the therapy, from all that stuff. And that's not, that's not helpful. That's not what this text calls us to. But others of us, others of us want to assimilate. We want to get into the worldview of our culture, and we want to embrace all the tools, and we want to embrace the terms, and we, we want to kind of get into, into what you might call the culture of the therapeutic, that the ultimate answer is not to recognize reality or not to look to Jesus, but the ultimate answer is, is just to accept ourselves as we are and use whatever tools we can find to, to develop ourselves. Some of us want to withdraw. Some of us want to assimilate. And when it comes to so many things in life, including how we deal with anxiety, what the Bible calls us to is to transform, to take whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right from the culture and the world around us, and to use those things. And so when it comes to your anxiety, do the lifestyle stuff. Take the meds if they're prescribed. See the doctor. See the counselor. Do the things. But don't do the things that take you away from Jesus. Don't embrace the things that make you think there is anything besides Jesus that will ultimately solve your problems. Recognize that God has made a world that has all kinds of, all kinds of resources, but recognize that the only real peace you're ever going to find is in Jesus Christ. And that's where this text takes us at the end. It takes us back to the peace of God. And, and verse 9 tells us, the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. So Tim Keller is a, a very influential pastor the last couple decades. And he passed away, I think, last May or so. And I was listening to a podcast that finally got around to doing a tribute episode the last few weeks, and they had an interview with Tim Keller from before he died, just the last few weeks before he passed away. And Keller talked about how, 
how as he and his wife Kathy wrestled with the reality that he would die sooner rather than later, they realized that there were all kinds of other things that they were depending on. They, had, they wouldn't have said this, but they were, they were living in a veil of illusion that neither of them would ever pass away and that everything would always work out fine and that they would never experience any real trouble. And, and then when you get that diagnosis and when you draw near to the end, all of that is shattered. And Keller goes on to talk about how when you, when you push through some of those things and you realize that all you have left is Jesus, there is a level of communion. There is a level of relationship. There is a level of peace that you find there that you never would have thought possible. And so, he says, there's, there's no downside for me. The longer I'm here, the more time I have with my wife and my kids and grandkids, the more work I can do, the more reading I can do, the more writing I can do. And when I pass away, then I step into the peace of God. There is no downside for me. Now, there is a challenge that when we talk about celebrity pastors that we all think, oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't do that. That's, that's great for him, but it doesn't work for me. But I have to tell you that over the last few years here at Faith, I have had many conversations that sounded just like that with members of our church, with people who have been in this room week after week who have, as they face potentially life-changing or even potentially or even actually life-ending things that they could, they could look around and they could say, God has blessed me in all these ways. And even if the worst happens, even if this is the end for me, it will be okay because because of Christ, because of the peace of God. And that peace is available to all of us. And it's not just available to us as if we have to step out and go get it, but it's available to us because if we belong to Jesus Christ, then we are already on the rock. Then objectively, however we think about it, however we feel about it right at this moment, Jesus is with us and for us. And so I want to invite you to be to be gentle and honest, to, to engage with reality as it is and to seek to grow. But, but underneath and around that, I want to invite you to rest in the true peace of God. And even if you can't feel it, even if you can't sense it, to rest in knowing that Christ is there. He is with us. He is for us from now till the end. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you give all of us wisdom in the strategies we adopt to live. And Lord, if we are adopting unhealthy or unchristian or unwise or even wrong strategies, then break us of those habits. Help us to see them for what they are and to turn away. And Lord, we pray that you work in each of us to embrace, to embrace going to you with our needs and with our hopes, to go to you with gratitude, to to grab hold of whatever you have put in our lives that is noble and good and true and right. And Lord, in and around and underneath all of that, we ask that you bless us with your peace. We love you, we trust you, we, we know that you have claimed us. So we ask that you help us to stand, to stand firm on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our rock. Amen.